Buongiorno, everybody. No, buongiorno, everybody. Oh, we got some work to do. <laughs> I'm not Chuck. You know, Chuck's kids are sitting down here like, thank God. <laughs> it's good to see you guys, many of you uh, remembering, and you haven't seen me in at least three years. I hope you've recovered since then. You've gone through COVID. And so <laughs> we have too. And today, uh, it's just a privilege to finally be able to be back. My family was here in the first service with us. Uh, my folks are here in the second service. And so my mom always, she, she connected in and connected in over uh, to our English service over in Italy all year long. And my mom says that I'm a treasure hunter in the scriptures. So today my message is titled, When God Makes Gold. So mom, we're going to go on a treasure hunt. So let's get ready for that. I'm going to take you through the book of Exodus. And I'd like you to get your Bibles ready. I will uh, try to uh, put most of the verses up here. Uh, on the screen for you, and the the journey will chart out a course for us, um, well, dealing with the subject of wealth and gold. Have you seen the prices of the cryptocurrencies lately? Some of you have, because you're in it, right? Think about what that is. It is all of us working hard, making money, supposedly, in, di in digital form, money that will never really hold, and putting it into markets, into something that has no standard, that isn't there, uh, to buy things that we don't know what they're actually buying, and uh, all under, like, uh, just tokens, or digital tokens, and uh, uh, it's real good fun, isn't it? <laughs> with your life savings, of course, right? Um, I tell you, through the last couple of years, as these things have taken off, you could gain 1,000% in one day and lose 1,000% the next day, and, and they're so volatile uh, because nobody really knows what they are. And what that's produced is many different articles uh, pressuring us, if you will, to, to buy assets or to buy tangibles, something you can put your hands on, like gold and silver and, uh, or other precious metals or commodities. And uh, it's interesting that through all generations and in all societies, that gold itself, tangible gold, is of great value. It's, it's always been prized and precious. And it has as well in the Bible. And it starts out in the very first book, and it's mentioned in the very first book in Genesis, we're going to chart through there. I'm not here to be a financial advisor or to hold a financial seminar for you today, unless you're interested in investing in a missionary or a mission group or churches overseas, then I'd like to talk with you. But, and if you are, I'd like you to just write, remember this one phrase and write this down. If you're interested in investing in overseas projects like us, Rob has a wonderful plan for your life. Just write that down, and then I'd like to talk with you afterward, all right? Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to talk through what God does with, with our goods and with the purpose of all of his creation to fulfill his mandate and bring us into relationship with himself. What I'd like to do is actually help you think of your world and your life and everything around you through theological eyes. Friends, we live in a theological world. Everything, all the material things and all the work that we do and the energies and the talents that we have and the capacities and skills that we have 
are all meant to be gathered together and lived in the mission of God so that these things might be gathered so that Jesus might be praised in the end. We're going to chart and see how the Bible actually sets that up and gives some of us in the the background. So we're going to go back to Abraham because that's where the first mention of, uh, of gold, if you will, of value, of precious possessions is mentioned here today. So today I'd like to talk about our relationship with God and our stuff. The Lord said to Abram, and this is in Genesis chapter 15, verses 13 to 14. The Lord said to Abram, In his promise, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and they will be servants there. Now, those of you who are familiar with the story, where will they be sojourners? What land is it? Egypt. Okay, and how many years ahead would this take place? Rough estimates, give or take a hundred. About 400 years that he's prophesying this or giving this promise to Abraham because Abraham doesn't have any kids yet. And then he's going to have Isaac, he's going to have Jacob and Jacob and the sons and he goes in the story of Joseph and then they're all down in Egypt. But he's telling Abram before he has a child, trust. They will be sojourners because I have a plan. They will be servants there. Don't be discouraged And they will be afflicted for 400 years. But after that time and that generation, I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. So I have a plan for your children that you don't have yet. And I know where they're going. And I will also take care of them. And then at the end, he says... I'm going to make them prosperous and wealthy. They will take out great, abundant possessions or gold. In this point, we understand, what does this teach us? One of the first things is, from the very beginning as God speaks with Abram and begins his people, his nation, God is the owner of all things above the earth, on the earth and under the earth. And everything in these spheres and realms are a replication and eminence. They emerge from the throne of God and God's throne and celestial city in heaven is gold. And God puts that down through the city, down out into our world and buries it in the ground that we might seek it. And when we do, we can learn from it, gather it, all the goods. Now, now understand, gold would equal goods. Gold would equal value. So he's made a world full of value, full of treasure. And we seek it, we gather it, but we bring it on a mission. Not just to have it, but to bring it on a mission with him. That's what he's saying. I have a mission and I'm going to include the great possessions that I've buried in it. I need 400 years for the Egyptians to start digging it out and making it, making it nice and refining it and turning it into jewelry, okay? And so, God is the owner of all. God is the provider of all, above and below ground. So let's jump ahead to where 
these possessions came from. This, this we'll, we'll find now in the book of Exodus. So go to chapter 12, just a couple verses, and we're going to jump to the night of the Passover. The land of Egypt has been decreated, destroyed. This is the night of the 10th plague, God's ultimate judgment on the land of Egypt. This is a night he will rescue his people from Pharaoh. This is 400 years. This is a night when the children have to stay up all night and you have to stand by the table and you have to eat at a buffet and, and, and wait till the call from the leaders to run out into the desert. And they would do that in the middle of the night. This is Passover night. And just before Passover, there's one more request that God has in their preparation. It's found in this verse. Moses had to go to the people, and the people of Israel had also done as Moses had told them. For they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have what they asked. They gave them everything, anything they asked for. And in this way, they plundered the Egyptians. They didn't go in and attack. They didn't go in and steal. They just asked for it, and it happened. What a miracle that is. You have to think about it. This is not going to a boss and asking for a raise. This is going to your oppressors and saying, give me all your wealth. (laughs) Give me your inheritance. And the Egyptians said, okay. Why? It's found in that special word there, and the Lord had given the people grace. It's favor here. But it's the word grace. It's the first time grace is mentioned first time grace is mentioned in this book, if not in the Bible. That's, that's significant. Why? Because who is the one demonstrating the grace? It's the Egyptians. The Egyptians have grace for the Israelite people. What is grace in this case? What is favor? It teaches us that favor is that you start to see people the way God sees them. You see, before, the Egyptians had only seen the Israelites as insects and reptiles and people to be exploited, people to use to realize our dream, not with a dignity under their creator, but subhumans, different race. Do you see what I'm saying? There was was a mentality of hatred for this other classes, other people, this animal people that they called them. All you have to do is read Exodus 1 and 2 and you'll get that. But for the first time after 10 plagues and their, their people have been decreated under God's plagues, all of a sudden God says, I'm going to ask you to trust me to have the courage to do one more thing. After you've seen all the plagues that have happened, I want you to have a part in this. Go ask for all their stuff. <laughs> And they received it. This shows us the beauty of God's plan for salvation in our lives. Grace, or God's favor, always comes to us first from God. He gives you all of your life, your goods, your health, your community, your family, and then he brings a whole church community around you to do what? To show you his purpose, and his will for your life and for your heart. You didn't generate all of this. He did. 
And then you come and gather and you learn and you grow. And what happens? You see that he moves with favor on you. And then you start to see other people all around Tempe, other people with the same eyes that he has. Do you see what I'm saying? He gives favor into our eyes. And then what happens is our goods begin to follow our energies, our capabilities, and our skills. So far, so good? Grace. So first we saw gold, now we saw grace, but the, the Israelites really had loads of stuff. They put it in their packs, they put it on carts, they piled it up, anything they asked for, and they plundered the Egyptians, and then the call to run out in the desert was there, so they, I mean, they're hanging it on their necks, and they're piercing their ears, and they're wearing armlets and bracelets and, and, and necklaces. There's just so much gold and clothing, and then God calls them. They go out in the desert, and they all run out in the desert, and they look at each other, and they say, when the morning comes up, they say, wow, we're rich. This is great, but not so much because they're in a desert. And all of you know, where do you spend it if you're in a desert? There's nothing out there to use it on. It's a big deal. It's, it's all relative then, right? If everybody's rich at the same time, but there's no market in which to use it, there has to be some other purpose for this riches and these possessions. Why would God give them all of this stuff and then they have nowhere to use it or no reason to use it, especially if God is going to take care of them himself? Underneath, God has a different plan for all of this. But they don't understand what that plan is going to be quite yet. We have to go through a bit of a trial and that's where we see the next time that the word gold is coming up, all the, or these possessions are coming up. It's going to jump forward 20 chapters. It's, it's at the place when they're at Sinai. They've traveled for six weeks. They've gotten to Mount Sinai, and Moses goes up the mountain into the glory cloud, the fire cloud that is dwelling on the top of the mountain. Okay, so you've only really known God as a, as a power, as a destroying God, and you're just learning that he's also a good God and a shepherd God. But you see your leader climb that mountain and go into a glory cloud, you're pretty much thinking, this guy's toast. This guy is done for. Because who's going to survive that? And they get impatient. And they start to form a mob. And they run up to Aaron, who is his brother and the next leader, and they make a demand. And they say to Aaron, Aaron, we are tired of lockdown. They're about 21 days, 22 days in it. And there's a revolt happening because of lockdown. Guys, I've been in lockdown back in Italy for last year. Now, I got a lot of lockdown material jokes. So I just got to get through them and get them out myself as a detox. So just bear with me. So they say, we want to get out of lockdown who cares what happened to this guy, Moses? They really did. They said, this man. It was kind of a belittling phrase, first verses of chapter 32. And they rejected the man that God had sent them. They rejected God's plan in following the man that God had sent them. So they said to Aaron, we don't, we don't want another man. We want something different that we make. We want to tell God how we will talk with him. We want a different interface. Read these verses with me. So Aaron said to them in verse 2, Take off the rings of gold 
that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, probably because they didn't have enough ears for, on their wives to hold all this gold. So they're starting to, you know, pin them on their kids. And then bring all of it to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hands and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And this really is a surprising, this is a, a surprising thing. Uh, I'll tell you why in just a second. And they said, they said this to the people. These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, which we know wasn't true. There's only one God who did that, not these, these things. They wanted a Moses replacement. They believed that he had failed. And the other thing is, they didn't want to directly talk to this fire God, this powerful God who just destroyed Egypt. Because they, there's, a, there's a natural fear when, we're, when we are sinners of the ultimate holy God. And to speak directly with him and to interface like this directly with him means I can't get away with what I want to get away with. He sees everything. He knows everything. And it's interesting that when Moses comes down the mountain, he sees them dancing in front of this and around this golden calf he goes to Aaron of course he's upset you know that he breaks the first tablets he's he's quite upset at their sin he knows that God is ready to destroy them so God is hot he's really upset not just fire and glory up on top of the mountain he's, he's actually angry he knows that he's going to destroy them Moses has to come down he sees this he breaks the tablet he says what are you doing he goes to Aaron Aaron what have you done and Aaron said I couldn't help it, Moses. The people got really angry. They demanded uh, to get out of lockdown. So I said, okay, here's how we're going to do it. And I gathered all their gold and I put it in the furnace. And the literal words that he used is, outlept this golden calf. I kind of think that Aaron was going to say, I was going for a big bull, but I, I've never done this before. And I, this is what came out. It was just out of the fire. It was this, this, this little calf because I wanted this big giant bull to lead us but we're a young nation and this is all I got. The reason that we could say that is because back in these verses that we just read, when, when Aaron said, bring the gold to me, the people, the, the words in Hebrew are in a tense that we don't have in English. It's called a reflexive tense. It's in different languages like Spanish and Italian and others. The reflexive tense works like this. It, is, it almost animates an object. And it's like the object itself has personality. And he said, and in the Hebrew here, it's like the ideas of all the rings and the armlets and the bracelets and all the gold. It has animation. It has a person to it. And that they were tearing themselves off of the people to jump into the fire, to jump out of the fire as a calf. Why? Because this had become, watch this, this had become a, a national pursuit of their wealth. All of the people wanted a way that if they could build a new interface, then they could control where they were going, how they would talk with God, and then ultimately they could control God. And this became an idea of a Moses replacement and it was, a, it was their main cause. 
and they took their wealth and their best goods to make a national cause with the people and put it in there so that they could have a shield between them and God. Now, how do I say the word shield? Because in Hebrew, the word for calf is the, or the word graven image, I shouldn't say just calf, but graven image is the exact same word for a mask. Now, you have to chew on that for a little bit. What really were they making? Out came this golden mask. The people came to Aaron and demanded. Talk about a mask mandate right there. Okay, that's another one. Just can't. They're still coming. Mask mandate. So they demanded this mask so that, now what is a mask? Think about it. And I know you've studied it and thought about it for the idea of health purposes all year long. But I want to talk about it for the idea of hiding purposes. A mask on one side gives a presentation, an image. And you can present out anything that you want to be. There was, a, there was a, an Italian TikTok video that was floating around of a guy who, who, who made masks that imaged his face. It was hilarious. And he would go into stores and he would film himself. And the people and the police and others were yelling, put your mask on, put your mask on. And he would yell through the mask, but it was his face, right? So he had taken a picture and imprinted it and everything. And he's like, I am, I am, but his mouth wasn't moving. So all the people, you know, so they, get, they come up and they're literally ready to arrest him and then just pull it down and say, I told you, I am putting it up, you know. And so it's just this hilarious thing about, here's this image on the outside that you can present to somebody, but you can be whatever you want to be on the other side. That's what we have here. What we have is the idea of on the outside, sure, we'll be God's people, but on the other side, on the inside, we will do foolish things like make golden calves and even make excuses for them with our best of causes. It really is kind of foolish, isn't it? Really kind of stupid what, they, what they're saying, what they were doing. But sin really is, isn't it? So Moses takes that calf and he pounds it down to dust or glitter. And that's, that's our third G here today. You can kind of see where I'm going with this, with the Gs. I'm going to have not just 5G coverage, but 6G coverage in the message today. So the glitter. And here's what will happen is in your life, if you... If, if you claim to be part of God's people, and yet on the other side, inside, and the pursuit of your mind and your dreams are always for using your goods to look like the next guy down the street or to look like your coworker. then you're missing the purpose and the reason and the blessing that God has for your life, the purposes, because he didn't put the goods in your life for that, just to accumulate them so that you could mask up and then live every way that you want to behind your mask. He didn't give you the gold, the gold to accumulate so that you can't fit your, your car in your garage anymore because it's too full. He didn't give you the goods and your resources in your life to fulfill the Arizona dream, you know, to bury it in a boat because you're landlocked. Everybody wants a boat. He didn't give this to you for that reason, he didn't give it to you for glitter. You don't build a family on glitter. You don't pay for food with glitter. You don't build a bank account on glitter. 
glitter is superficial, isn't it? Glitter is just shiny, but it's not substance. And friends, a lot of us in our churches today, actually in our discipleship, we don't have a theology of our wealth. We don't have a theology of our goods. We don't have a theology of creation that sees that everything I have and everything I do is not meant for my personal bling <laughs> or for my achievements or for my image maintenance or to be an influencer. It's not meant for that. There's a deeper and a greater purpose and we must disciple ourselves that the deeper and greater purpose is that I'm a, I'm a believer to bring, and bring this gold and my goods into God's glory. This is a greater purpose for me. Otherwise, we have disciples or people that will attend church, but underneath, under the mask, under the mask, what do we have? We have people who are living for the glitter and you're staying at a superficial level of discipleship for years and years to come, missing out on God's deeper purposes in your life. So push past the glitter phase. Moses had to do that. He crushed that thing, turned it into dust. Turns out they still had more gold. There's a lot that they got from Egypt. So if you're thinking... And a fallen human, if I can just make something of my own, something good, something I can control, something that can eliminate my fear and make me feel good, then I will finally make God do what I want him to do. That's where that, that path is headed in our hearts and in our lives. We really have to have a heart check. Think about it. Moses was the man, the intercessor that God sent them and they rejected him. Jesus is the man, our intercessor, which God has sent us. Do we reject him by what we do with our goods? Any good thing, friends, any resource, any skill or capability outside of Jesus Christ or in place of Jesus, anything masking us before God, which demands our treasure, will always turn into an idol of our own making. It always will. It'll always be glitter in the end. It'll always be superficial. And we will pursue it all our life and we'll miss these greater purposes. So please, push past the glitter. It might take some repentance because that's what had to happen next. In the very next chapter, after they realize their sin, after Moses comes down and shows it to them, I want you to jump ahead to the next chapter, 33, verses 4 to 6. Our next G is grieving. Grieving. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. What disastrous word was it? In the first verses of chapter 33, God said, I don't know if I can even have a relationship with you. It is so strained. It is so ready to just crumble and fall apart. It's almost as if we got the gold and we had our disco nights around the golden calf, but we don't want God. Isn't that the story of the prodigal son? I want your goods. I want your stuff. I want to go somewhere. I want to do my thing, but I don't want you. I don't want the father. And the father comes back and he says to the children of Israel, he says, listen, guys, I can't go with you because I am too holy and I see this. And if you continue wearing these ornaments, 
And wearing these things, I will consume you, as we'll see here. The disastrous word is this. I will send you to the promised land, but I will not be in your midst, and I will not go with you into the promised land. Now, why would that be so disastrous? It's because you've been freed from slavery. Pharaoh has been taken away. Grace has been shown to you in favor. You are wealthy. You are full of goods. You are a nation, a new people, and you are in a very fertile land, but God is not there. And what good is a promised land if God's not in the middle of it with you? What good is is the realization of all our dreams and all our goods and all our accumulation of all our wealth? What good is all of it if it's at the cost of the presence and the relationship of Jesus in our lives. It's not promised land. It's not Christian life at all. It's just image maintenance. And they got that. To them, it was a disastrous word. So they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people, If for a single moment I should go up among you, I will consume you. So now take off your ornaments. Let me see you for who you are, that I may know what to do with you. Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Sinai forward. What's very interesting here is verse 4. It's a short verse. It's a disastrous word in mourning and grieving. But the book of Exodus is built like, I don't know if uh, Chuck or others have shared this with you, but there's a, 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 a way to write Hebrew uh, books, and it's called a chiasm or a chiasm. And it's a structure. It's a, it's a literature form. We don't use it in English much at all today, but it's, it's a masterpiece. And what it does is you build one phrase or sentence on another, and they keep going. The chiasm starts with one principal phrase, and then it goes all the way to a middle central phrase, and then builds back out. And then every phrase vertically corresponds. So it's almost like making this really cool matrix with an apex phrase right in the middle of it. It's all over the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. What that does is that helps us to interpret. It also helps us to emphasize the verses that God was emphasizing, especially in the language of Hebrew. Now, the book of Exodus is built in two chiasms. And the second one, the second half of the book, is all one chiasm, all the way built, all the way out, into a middle, and all the way back in. The apex central verse of the whole story of the Exodus is right here in verse 4. This is it. Why is that so important? Because that is the top verse that makes a pivot for the heart change of Israel. It wasn't just about them being a more powerful and wealthy nation. It was about them being a nation given to God. And what did it take? It took a disastrous word from God so they would begin to mourn and grieve and take off their ornaments. What would they do with what they had? Was the God who they could not really see, but they only saw him in cloud form, more glorious to them? than the gold that they were wearing and the wealth that they had. Do you see what I'm saying? In the, in the things, there was a contrast. What things have more treasure for you? 
the physical goods or the great glorious God. And here is the pivot verse. If God's not with us, what good is life anyway? What good are all our goods? All our gold. Now here's something fascinating. How do you grieve and how do you mourn? You're coming here today and, and you're thinking through this like, well, maybe, maybe I haven't been looking at the way that the way that God has given me so many different resources or skills or service, talents, finances, and everything. I'm not looking at it through a missional lens that God's given. All I've been doing is chasing something. Something that I've made, my dream. You come today and you say, oh, the Lord's speaking to me. I, I also need to grieve. But how do you do it? Two simple step process that we see in these verses. The first thing in verse 4 is that they mourned. They had to recognize in their heart that they had put their goods before their God. That's the first thing. But then he said, you are a stiff-necked people. So when you have a stiff neck, you can't really move it. You can't really turn it. In this case, he says, everything I tell you, you just want to do the opposite. You're so resistant. You're so strong against me, right? You're stiff neck. You're rebellious. But it's interesting that he used the word neck in his repentance thing. He said, here's how you're going to repent. Here's, here's how we restore relationship. You have to, you are a stiff neck people, but you got to take your ornaments off. So how do you take necklaces off? If you have a stiff neck, <laughs> it's really hard, isn't it? You can't bend, and what he's saying is, don't be a stiff neck, people. You bow the neck, and you humble yourself before me, and then you take your ornaments off. You see, there's a bowing in the morning. There's a softness from the stiffness there is an opening of the heart and a turning of the waters from a resistance of I do with what I do, which is mine. That word that creeps up and speaks to it is mine, it's mine, it's mine, it's my, it's my achievement, it's my bonus, it's my wealth, it's my good. I work for this, it's mine. You hear that little voice coming up every so often? I can do it like they can. You see, that is still the call of a stiff neck. And what needs to happen is the realization from a heart, so the water stir a softening, and then a softening of the neck and a bowing. Take the ornaments off. Think about it. Who did the people look like when they were wearing all of this jewelry? The Egyptians, yeah. They look like the Egyptians. That's why God says, let me see you for who you really are. Not the image you're presenting to me. You, you, you know that you're going wrong on your goods and your gold when you look like your past. The goods in your past. It's hail, don't worry. It's, it's, it's rain. <laughs> your goods coming from your past. In other words, on your outside image, you might still be tied to a thinking in what you have and what you do that is from Egypt, from your past. And you look 
like something. And God says, I want you to look like me. Not like an old version of you just all blinged up. Surrender that. Don't be trapped in your past. Turn, be conformed to my image. Mourn and weep, like James says in his letter to us. They were treasuring the past which God had rescued them from. That's why so often we hear them saying, why don't we just go back to Egypt? Why did we come out here to die? Egypt is so good, and it wasn't. We all know that. They all made that up. They, oh, Egypt was so good. Why? Probably for a long time, those, those weeks, they were looking like Egyptians themselves. God's saying, no, I want to conform you to me. So we go to that fifth G. It's generosity. So if we could pull that up. Watch what happens to the heart. We're just going to read through this real quick. Watch their hearts. Watch their mentality. What takes place after the mourning, the grieving, the surrendering, and the bowing? Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from you, among you, a contribution, not a tax, a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a, can you all say it together? A generous heart, not a stiff neck or a tight wallet, (laughs) but a generous heart Let him bring the Lord's contribution, which is gold, silver, and bronze. Now, in the Bible, gold represents divinity or heaven. Silver represents sky and nature, and bronze represents earth. It's bringing all of the treasures from heaven and earth to them. There's a, a word picture going on here. So it's a generous contribution. Verses 20 to 22 of the same chapter. Jump ahead. All the congregation of the people responded. They went away from Moses and they came back, everyone whose heart had stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him, and they brought the Lord's contribution to use for the tent of meeting, for all of its service and for the holy garments. This tent was given by God when Moses was in the glory cloud and it was a, it was a physical picture of the son of the Lord Jesus who was to come. So it was a building that was pointing to the picture or the person of Jesus. That's what the tabernacle was. Here we find the purpose for all that gold. I want you to build it so that you have an image of the divine gold from heaven of the sending of the greater Moses, my son, to come. Here we have the purpose, the mission for why God put it in the ground to begin with. So they did. They got their kids. They got the men and the women every day. They were of a willing heart, earrings and signet rings and armlets and every kind of gold object, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord constantly. Next chapter, 36, verse 3. And they received from Moses everything that the, the contribution the people of Israel brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. But they still kept bringing Moses' free will offerings every morning. So the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary all came, each from the task he was doing, and said to Moses, the people are bringing much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord had commanded us to do. So Moses gave the command, and a word was proclaimed throughout all the camp that you will never hear on church on mill or probably any church in Tempe, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution to the sanctuary. Stop giving. You're just not going to hear it. This will be the first and only time you'll ever hear it from any of our churches, at least from mine too. 
I'd love to get to the point where I could actually tell people, you need to stop giving now. I haven't been there yet, but I, as a pastor, I would love to get there. So the people were restrained, restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. Boy, they got a lot of gold out of Egypt, didn't they? But their hearts, do you see the condition of their hearts? God was using the gold in the ground that he promised to Abraham and got the Egyptians to mine to release the hearts of the Jewish people unto himself. To build, if you will, the place of rest for God. His specific presence called the tabernacle. This is divine generosity. It's not forced. Get it? When you have that relationship, you know God is so worthy of being praised and there's so much gold in God. You would love and admire him. Your giving and your sacrifice is not forced. It is released into relationship. When you tithe, when you give offerings, you are releasing it into relationship so that God can conform your heart more and more into a soft, generous, repentant heart in the image of his son, the tabernacle, Lord Jesus. Well, look what it released, everybody. It released their hearts, not just their money. It released their hearts, their wealth, their abilities, their time, their craft, their service. Their entire nation was released now to follow God to the promised land. Do you see what it does? When our hearts are on mission with our gold, let me tell you, much more is impacted. Even our kids get involved in God's mission. And now we come to the apex. It is God's glory. Exodus chapter 40, the end. At the beginning of Exodus, they're building a sanctuary, a tabernacle. Or, sorry, my bad. They are building tombs for pharaohs. Pharaohs who can be rich at their death and go into the afterlife comfortable. At the end of the book, they're building something too, the tabernacle. Instead, it's not for pharaohs to go off. It's for God to rest and come in his presence and dwell in their midst. Not for him to be comfortable, but for them to have the treasure of his presence with them. It's a total change. They're now building something, but with joy. Before they were oppressed, now they're filled with joy. And what happened? Moses finished the work. The cloud covered the tent of meeting. The glory of the Lord, that fire from the Sinai comes down on top of the tabernacle. Moses was not able to go into this fire before he could go in there. But now Moses, representing the law, can only point to the tabernacle. He cannot go in the place because it must be a place of one presence rest. The Son of God. It couldn't be Moses as Messiah it had to be the greater Moses. The glory filled the tabernacle. All their journeys, the cloud led them through as we see that in their journeys. Day by day, it was lit and a cloud was there. Fire was by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all of their journeys. God's presence was there. Gold had been turned to glory. At the end of Exodus, we see these, these precious people who had said, now we can follow you. The law cannot contain the glory of God. And if the story of the Bible ended there, we would be left without hope. We'd be left without hope and only trying to get as much as we could from this world and be happy and live on. 
But John the Apostle comes in and he writes to us this verse, John 1.14. The Word, the gold, the heavenly divine person became flesh and tabernacled among us. Same word. Therefore, we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth, infused in him. We, what Moses couldn't even touch, we were able to hold and hug. What Moses could not see because he couldn't enter, we are able to see and know in the Son of God what has happened. All of that value and all that good was fused into one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Fused into a person. All that is worth something is him. He is supremely worth all value in this world. And to love and to follow and to know. And John says, you can know him. And that's why you have all your goods. So that you can behold him. In Jesus, the value is filled up. The greatest treasure of the whole earth is Christ. And that leaves us with a new mission for all that we have and all we do. Isn't that wonderful? I don't have the pressure to try to figure out what I'm going to do with my stuff. It's for him. Now, friends, I'm going to leave you here with a, a, a gut check and a Bible verse, okay? Here's the check. If the value of your work and your goods is not bringing you into greater delight and treasure of Jesus, that's why God put all our goods in the earth to begin with, then you are still stuck under somebody's Pharaoh. And it might be a Pharaoh of your own making. If you see yourself as a Christian so that you can bring all your goods in, then you will be released from your Pharaoh. You were not given Jesus grace and favor. You were not given your goods to live out your dream. I'm going to step back. To live out the American dream, but to live out his dream for his world working through you for his glory. That's why you were giving all that you have. And Peter reads out, here's the verse that I want to give you, 1 Peter 1.7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, the fire, the trials, the valleys, the desert experiences, being more precious than gold that perishes through it, being tested by fire might be found into praise, honor, and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. What is this test of faith? It's the next verse. Though you do not see him, you still love him. You've gone through the fire, you've gone through the blaze, and yet you are a faithful bride. You've used everything he's given you for his glory, and when he returns, Jesus comes back singing. Singing over you, singing over church on mill, singing over the work that you put in and invested, that your labor is not in vain. The living Lord coming from heaven to the praise, saying, here, here Tempe, here Arizona, here, United States, is the gold that I have made, and it's you, the blazing gold of Jesus Christ living in you. You're the gold of heaven. You're the treasure for why he gave his life. You're the hope of Jesus' return. You're his song, and he will, you'll be giving him praise, and he will be exposing you as his praise. You are his treasure. Isn't that wonderful? The ones who love him still. How can I practically illustrate this? Let's just pull up that picture if we can. Of This is our church plant three years ago. You have supported this. 
You've prayed for it, and you are helping the pastor there. Three years, four or five different nationalities here. Many of these people we have led to the Lord, and I have personally baptized. They just celebrated last month their third anniversary. Do you see the picture of the glittering gold of God? This is why we utilize our resources. This is our oak church plant. And let's take it to another church plant. Last year, the month before uh, lockdown happened, or I almost called it breakdown, right before lockdown, uh, we have our church planter. They opened a church. It's still going. There's Danny next to Mohammed from Senegal. This is our 31st refugee in our life lab for welding and soldering. 31st refugee who's been, been certified. 25th refugee to get a job and a full contract. On the right is his very first day of work. Mohammed, for the first time at 22 years old, is able to send medicine to his family. His dad is failing, has a lot of health problems, mom, and he has lots of brothers and sisters. He's now calling the church plant his family. And he's, and he's literally sharing his gold resources with his family in Senegal. Danny was a Romanian refugee who's now an Italian citizen who now is a church plant with all the refugees that you have supported. So I could come here to tell you about an outreach from a Romanian refugee, Italian citizen, church planter, helping a guy from Senegal to help his family, Muslim family back in Senegal, all the way out here in Arizona. This is a screenshot from his thank you video to you as a church, saying thank you for being behind us and loving us. And friends, I don't know about you, but to me, this is gold. This is gold. This is why you give and why you're in mission with us. If you'd like to see more gold, we've been working on it. We just finished it last night, actually one o'clock this morning. Can you pull up our web address? If you go to smgi.org and you register or log in, behind there we have a new, brand new news wall with all kinds of pictures and all the things God is doing so you can see what you can pray for and are supporting. Lord bless you. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for today for the, the, the eager listeners, for the goodness of the people that are here in the, in the way that you have redeemed them and bought them and treasured them. And now, Lord, we, we praise you and thank you and we want to call in repentance each and every one of these uh, members here more and more that we might humbly approach to know everything I have is on mission for you, Lord Jesus. It will reach a glorious people from around this globe until we stand before you face to face in heaven, lined with streets of gold, lined with the people that we are reaching out to. In the name of Jesus, I pray these things. Amen.